Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, We want to say thank you, thank you, Thank you to all of the mothers out there and uh, know that you are loved, you are appreciated, and that we are praying for you so much during this time. Uh, you're doing a great job and we just want to say thank you for what, you, what you're doing. Uh, I have been told that there's nothing quite like being a parent and, uh, and you really won't get it until you are a parent. I told you a couple weeks ago that uh, I was sure I proved everyone wrong when I got a dog and had this whole parenting thing pegged. And boy was I wrong. Uh, Nothing could have prepared me for uh, what reality would be when Felicity, my oldest, was born. Uh, Nothing could have prepared me for simply going through her birth and, uh, and I didn't even have to give birth to her. But there she was, my daughter, my, my first of hopefully a few more. And, and as I started raising Felicity, I felt like I was picking up parenting pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't that bad, right? You tell her something once or twice and she picks it up pretty quickly. She's naturally friendly and kind, easy stuff, right? Then Parker was born and everything changed. Uh, See, I don't know if it's because he's a boy, because he's the youngest, or what it is, but Parker wants to break everything. And listening? Forget about it. As it turns out, Felicity likes his methodology. So guess who also has gotten into breaking things and doesn't like to listen anymore? Who would have thought that raising kids could be so much work, right? Now, I do want to start off this message uh, saying something very specific, something very intentional. I want to say something to non-parents. And first, I, I, I want to say that whether you are not a parent by choice or not, it's okay. It's okay to not want kids. It's okay to not want to be a parent. God designed each of us differently and certainly didn't call everyone to fulfill all of the same roles. Don't let people force shame on you for not having a calling that they expect you to have. As Paul told Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Don't live your life for anyone else. Fulfill your ministry, what God created you for and is calling you to. I also want to say that uh, it's okay if you want kids and things just haven't worked out yet. It's okay if you try and it never happens. And I'm not going to try and sugarcoat things for you. It sucks. My my wife and I went through a short time that we started to believe that it just wasn't in the cards for us. And it was miserable. But I want to remind you that your identity, 
Your worth is not found in your family. It's not found in your ability to have kids. Your identity, your worth are found in Jesus. And the moment that you place your identity in anything besides Jesus, even a good thing like children, you will find yourself spiraling. It's okay to not have kids, but it's not okay to lose focus on Jesus. It's not okay to lose focus on his goodness, and it's not okay to lose focus on what he has created you to do. God has a purpose for your life. Don't miss it. And I want to be sure that both of you recognize that that whether you have kids or not, you're still called to leave a legacy in the kingdom of God. You're called to be the church and do the work of the church together. That means that we all are the hands and feet of Jesus in working with each other, but also with each other's kids. It takes a village. And to everyone, I want to help out your expectations a little going into this. We're in the middle of a series called Relationships 101. And we're going to talk about parenting. And it just so happens that we're doing this on Mother's Day. So, moms, listen up. But everyone else, role model or not, you will be. So this is equally for you. So I want to start out this morning talking about somebody that we're probably pretty familiar with. Uh, goes by the name of David, right? He was in the Old Testament. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're in the midst of following the story of the young boy, David, who would one day become king. At this time, however, Saul was still the king. And while Saul came up with this crazy plot to get rid of David, he planned on using uh, his own family to do it. And so, well, as it turns out, Saul gave one of his daughters to David in marriage. But she loved David, and she was willing to betray her father to be loyal to David. And so things look pretty good, but then the story of David starts to unfold in a really unexpected way. David runs into a woman by the name of Abigail, who has a pretty awful husband. Like, awful enough that God ended up taking his life. And David ends up marrying Abigail. Yeah, suddenly this guy has two wives. And if you're like me, you are already realizing wheels are turning. This is not going to end up well, right? Well, we keep reading through the story of David. And by the time we get to 2 Samuel 3, we and suddenly we realize that the Bible tells us about five more wives that David took. Like that escalated quickly, but, but wait. Because two chapters later, 2 Samuel chapter 5, we read that David took more wives in Jerusalem. We're not even told how many. And you can tell that the author is trying to get us to pick up on a theme. As David gathers more power, And as he became king, suddenly nothing was off limits. David took what he wanted. And as it turns out, David wanted women. Then, just a few chapters later, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
and we read the climax of this theme that the author is trying to get us to see. It's a, it's a really familiar passage that we run into. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, I'm in 1 Samuel. I went and I found this ahead of time, and I thought I was super smooth. Nope. I uh, make mistakes just like everybody else. Maybe worse. I don't know. But all right. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. This is quite a turn in the story. This is quite a, a change of scenery all of a sudden. I, so many things to look at here. First, the kings were supposed to be going out to war. But David, well, David's the exception to the rule, right? I mean... He didn't really feel like going, so, hey, I'll just stay home. I mean, he's the king. Who's going to stop him, right? Then he went to the roof. And listen, don't let the innocent imagery of this passage fool you. David knew what he was doing. He knew what there was a chance of seeing. And I want to say this because of the time that we're in right now. Some of you who are stuck at home right now without enough accountability know what you're doing. You know what you're going uh, to on your computer, on your phone. You know what there's a good chance of seeing. You're, you're, you're not crossing the line of something like pornography maybe, but you're tempting yourself. You're looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. And let David be a lesson to you in this time. David didn't go into this planning to take another man's wife, but that's how he left. So let me say this very, very clearly. Don't play in the enemy's playground. Don't play in the enemy's playground. Avoid those things and pursue Jesus for all he's worth. But moving on, we see that David went up to the roof. And then after seeing what he wants, David flexes his royal arm and tells someone else, go get her. I want her. I mean, he's the king and he wants something. And when the king wants something, no one's going to stop him. No one can stop him. And this part legitimately makes me angry with David. Every step he's taken has been wrong. And then he asks someone who this woman is, and he's told, oh, that's Uriah's wife. David knew Uriah. Read the story in, in its full context. 
Uriah was one of the great fighters in David's army. They would have had a relationship and David didn't care. He was so blinded because he started playing in the enemy's playground and suddenly he wasn't as in control as he thought he was. And so even when faced with something like this, he knew what he wanted and he was pursuing that at all costs. He didn't care. So he said to go get her. I want her. I will have her. That's the attitude. Now, all of this may seem like a really weird parenting passage, right? But, but follow me for a second. It's going to make sense soon. If you follow the story, you find that David gets Bathsheba, the woman that he saw on the roof. He gets her pregnant. And then Nathan, the prophet, confronts David and tells him that the child she's pregnant with is going to die. The consequences were set. But David repents in what is one of the most beautiful displays of the pursuit of the heart of God and possibly the whole Bible. His son still dies. But he continues in his pursuit of God and something crazy happens that I think a lot of us miss and I don't want us to miss it this time. David gets Bathsheba pregnant again and she has another son and they named him Solomon. Hear me, parent. Hear me, grandparent. You will fail. But failure handled properly results in wisdom. And David and Bathsheba had a child who the Bible describes as wiser than anyone who ever was and wiser than anyone who ever would be. But one-time repentance isn't enough. Ultimately, we find that while David pursued the heart of God, he certainly wasn't perfect. <laughs> and personally, I wouldn't even describe him as an average father. He was far more concerned about being a king. And we see this because kids see their parents and often they will emulate us to the extreme. So then, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, we read about Solomon. It says, King Solomon, however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. And the key in here, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. See, David repented of his mistake, which led to another king in Israel who was largely a good king. Solomon was largely good. Solomon led with tremendous wisdom and built a glorious temple for God to dwell in. But I'm going to give you some homework. Go read the full story of David. He wasn't present as a father and it shows in his kids. 
Having a kid the right way doesn't lead to having a well-raised kid. It's of the highest importance for all of us parents, grandparents, or simply those who have some influence to understand that we have people watching us looking to see how we handle life and what we pursue. And while David was a man after God's own heart, he also pursued women. And that's what Solomon saw. And so ultimately, that's what Solomon emulated. We see Solomon taking the same sins of his dad and bringing them to the extreme. But don't worry, the good stuff is seen and emulated as well. We just have to commit to being sure that our children and grandchildren see what is most important to us, as most important to us. That what, what we in our minds have set as most important is what they actually see. Not just what we say, but what we're about. That our kids and our grandkids and those who are watching us would see that. And so uh, we're going to look at another parenting, grandparenting example. All the way on the other side of your Bible, uh, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. You have to give me a second while I find it. I know where it is. Oh my goodness. Getting close. Getting close. Here we go. Here we go. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And right here, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. When Paul writes to Timothy, there's one defining quality that, that stands out in Timothy's life to Paul. And it just so happens that Paul says, you know who your faith reminds me of? It reminds me of your grandma, Lois, and your mom, Eunice. Remember, they had that kind of faith, and you saw that, and you picked it up, and you've got that faith now, too. Like, think about that. How cool of a legacy would it be to leave that when people interact with your kids and grandkids, they're reminded of your convictions for Christ, your passion for Christ, your faith in Christ, whatever it might be. Lately, I've been pretty diligent about setting an example for Felicity in prayer, specifically because that's where I struggle and I, I don't want her to have the same struggles that I have. So I've decided to take a prayer out of Scripture and to just say that prayer with her. So we've started praying the Shema, which Jesus quotes in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Jesus is asked in this moment, Jesus, you're, you're so smart. They're trying to trick him. And they say, what's the greatest commandment, right? They're thinking of the 10 commandments. Which one's the greatest? If you just had to pick one. 
And Jesus quotes something else. He quotes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. And he answers and he says, The most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So that's what Jesus says. So I've turned this into a prayer that Felicity and I can pray together. We say, dear God, You are the one true God. Help me to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. And help me to love others as myself. Amen. That's the whole prayer. Well, we've been praying like this for a couple weeks now. And the other night I asked Felicity if she wanted to pray before bed. And she said yes. So I just said, go ahead. Right? Instead of actually leading her in it, I just said, Go for it. Let's see what happens. And uh, so she puts her hands together and it's super cute because she normally repeats after me, but this time she's trying to lead it. So she makes sure that I repeat after her, right? And she goes, dear God, waits for me to say it back. You are the one true God. Help me to love you and others. And like, yeah, she, she missed a good chunk of it, but she's, she's two, right? I can't even begin to tell you how excited I was. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking all the time, is she really getting it? Are my kids really getting what I'm trying to teach them? What I'm trying to communicate? Are they actually picking it up? And this was a much needed confirmation showing me that Felicity is absolutely learning what I'm trying to teach her. She's learning to love prayer. She was excited about trying to do it on her own. And she remembered way more than I ever would have expected her to remember. And so that's the example that we set for our kids. Listen, the Bible gets into a lot of the nitty-gritty details of parenting. There's a lot of stuff there, and we could get into that, but for those of you who have been with us for a while, you remember spending 17 weeks going through the book of Galatians, and, uh, and which is only six chapters, and I think most of you are still in recovery from that, so don't worry, we won't do a 17-week series on parenting this time. Uh, the main thing that we get from taking all of these stories, from all the the different things. Uh, If you really look through the Bible on parenting, not so much from, from looking at the directly taught principles in the Bible, but more from reading the stories as a whole, the narrative behind parenting and grandparenting, we learn that the most important thing is that the example that we set for our children is the most important thing that they will ever receive from us. They'll either see the things that define us and resent us for those things and then live their lives based on that, or they'll love how their mom and dad or grandma and grandpa tried, and they will try their best to continue the legacy that they were left by you. David left a tremendous legacy He he would be the king from which the Messiah would ultimately come. He is remembered to this day as the great king of Israel. David is the example to the entire nation. 
But that's not the legacy that he left for his children. We saw Solomon, and there was so much more than that. David's son saw a king who loved women, and they emulated that in remarkably despicable ways. While David was a genuine and great follower of Jesus, he wasn't a great father. And the rest of his family suffered because of that. On the other side, we see Timothy, who was a young pastor, facing some pretty tough situations. And Paul commends his faith to keep pressing forward through the difficulties of ministry and acknowledges that the reason that Timothy is able to have faith that will keep pushing him forward is because his mom and his grandma left that example for him. Growing up, Timothy would have always had the example of two strong women who had faith when it counted, faith that led to action, faith that tore down barriers. And so when Timothy was faced with difficulty, he fell back on the legacy that those two had left him, mountain-moving faith. He pressed forward knowing that obedience to God was the ultimate thing. And isn't it interesting how in both of these stories, the people who left legacy were people who were strongly devoted to God and there were remarkably different outcomes. I want you to understand a couple things through this. I want you to understand that your children and grandchildren are their own people. It's not your job to force them into be, becoming perfect people. It's your job to lead them. I have family who's been criticized by the church for their children's actions. And I strongly disagree with that. I also want you to understand that a full dedication to God will result in a dedication to your family. Family is often collateral damage in ministry, and I have a hard time believing that's ever what God would have wanted. Your family is your first ministry. And so I want to take Mother's Day to encourage and thank all of you moms and grandmothers for what you do. I see what my wife does and I cringe at the thought of having to work that hard. Whether or not your family sees it, God sees your efforts and you are loved. But I want to remind you again to find your identity in Jesus. Everything else will fall short of that. You don't love God by loving your family well. You love your family by loving God well. Focus first on God and your family will fall into place. Your identity is in Him. Rest in that. God, we thank you for the opportunity to continue gathering together and doing church. We thank you for moms and grandmas who leave such a tremendous example for us. And uh, we just ask that we realize, we know that there are people struggling during this season, that this is a difficult season for them. And we ask that you would bring comfort and peace to those people, that you would remind them who you are and what that means for their lives. And that you would just be present with them and give them a peace that passes understanding. And God, we pray for those who are struggling through this season right now, uh, trying to be the best moms and grandmas that they can be in a world that doesn't look like anything we've ever been able to imagine before. And so we ask that you would give wisdom, that you would give insight, and that you would give tender hearts to lead well. 
And God, we, we ask that you would be present with each of us, that uh, we could, as the church, lead this world closer to you, that we could show people what it means to have an identity in Christ and that they would desire that they would want it for themselves and that we could lead them into that, God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your continued love for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.